Cyber attacks do not discriminate. It can happen to anyone. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me today, uh, we've got Jim Tiller, our CISO, given that this is a security special, and Hannah Stevens. How are you both? Doing well, doing well. I've got probably the most tenuous link into a podcast ever to start with here, but I wanted to ask you both what your favourite Christmas films are. Ooh. Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'm sorry. That's a film? It's, it's, I thought that's just a song. I, no, it was like a little cartoon, like stop animation, animation kind oh, of thing. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I've seen that. Yeah, and yeah. It, was like, it was like made in like 1912 or something. It was a really ancient kind of thing. But I don't know why. I just like it. It's it, that All that stop animation of the holidays, that brings me back when I was like, you know, six, seven years old kind of thing. I was going to say this classics like, Love Actually and The Holiday. And classics like Love Actually and oh The Holiday. God. They are classics. Oh, no. They it's are like the classics. last <laughs> modern, <laughs> modern classics. Yeah, okay, right, modern fine. classics. But everyone, everyone watched them. But I also love um, The Santa Claus. Yeah, okay. Mm. With Tim Allen. That's, yes, with Tim Allen. Yeah. It's a really good one. Um, also, Arthur Christmas. That's so cute. Have you have you seen anything pre-millennium out of interest? Or <laughs> I've never watched. Is Elf pre-millennium? Oh my goodness! I yeah, was of course. Say it, Elf, yeah. but I love Elf. But I'm pretty sure it's pre- Elf is awesome. I'm pretty sure that was made this century. Oh, okay. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is not that old. I've never watched it. It's a oh, what? it's a brilliant film. Is it actually good? I've only seen the as to advert. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Elf is an absolute must-watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a must-watch, yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Holiday, by the way, Jude Law is unimaginably beautiful. As a straight man, I can say that without any without any reservation. There, something about him in that film is is quite alarmingly arresting. He's like glowing through the whole of it. It's it's quite odd. It's quite odd. Um, Okay, so no one's mentioned It's a Wonderful Life. I haven't watched that. Classic. Uh, The other one that I was going to mention, my wife's favourite, is Die Hard, the least Christmassy. (laughs) Christmas hit yes. of all time. No, that's definitely on there. And and relevance to today Hard. because obviously that that that's got really really dodgy cybersecurity in it. Wow, that link. It the, least, the least tenuous link ever. <laughs> yeah, wow. it's like that was a reach all the way across Die Hard yeah. one, two, three, into four. <laughs> is what that was. Hannah, have you seen it? It is it is it is twentieth century. Cinematography. So. Have I seen Die Hard? Of course, I've seen Die Hard. Just checking with your with your choices okay. so far. It was beginning to become questionable. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, look, we've got two interviews to bring you. Uh, we'll be back with some commentary on them in a moment, and we will start uh, by going to Estonia and talking to Laurie of Cybexa. This morning, I'm talking to Laurie Almond, the co-founder of Cybexa. How are you this morning? Uh, very well. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, good morning to you as well. Yeah, good morning. You're uh, you're over in Estonia, so it's it's just gone nine o'clock in the UK. So is it is it ten or eleven in Estonia? I have to forgive my ignorance. It's already eleven. It's already eleven. Okay. Real pleasure for you to join us. Um, before we do anything else, do you want to tell us who Cybexer are? 
Yes, we are a, a cybersecurity company that is specialized exclusively in cyber range technology. Cyber ranges are, are platforms where we can simulate uh, environments uh, for training purposes, testing purposes, uh, um, and, uh, and, and, and uh, those platforms uh, help to improve the whole cybersecurity profile of, of any organization who wants to have this type of real-life experience, either in training or testing their equipment. And the business was founded in 2016. You're operating, well, as we said, you're, you're, you're based in Estonia, but you're operating across, across Europe, you know, UK, Luxembourg, Lithuania, Portugal, a number of different countries. Oh yes, we our our footprint is is definitely in in every EU country. We operate in UK. We operate also in uh, Southeast Asia in in, in some countries, um, um, Americas, uh, both Latin America, United States. So so uh, yeah, we are a, we are a global company. Let's rewind. Then we said business founded in 2016. What led you to that point in the career and the founding of Cybexa? Well. Um, the um, the um, the situation uh, where we are um, is is sort of two pronged. Um, cyber security as an issue um, wasn't that mainstream even in 2016 when we started. You know, well, the company is a result of several reincarnations. My my uh, adventures in cybersecurity business started already in 2009 and 2010 when, when uh, it was um, almost exotic uh, to talk about cybersecurity. And, and, and one of the fights uh, or, or messages that we, that we had at that time was to bring cybersecurity um, topics to the mainstream. Um, then in 2016, that had happened. And now, um, and with this, you, you have basically two problems. One of the problems is that companies and organizations started to throw money at the, at the issue, meaning that they started to buy all kinds of equipment, uh, cybersecurity products. If you look at the market at the moment, I mean, the, uh, the amount of cybersecurity products that are available is, is just enormous. Uh, it is definitely uh, one of the biggest growing markets. And as the digital services are going to be added by governments, by, by organizations, this is, the, this is going to accompany uh, that growth as well. Now, adding those tools created another problem, which is skills gap. And then we discovered that that we don't have enough skilled personnel to to operate or defend uh, our our systems. So, cyber range basically solves those two problems. One of them is you can uh, you can, uh, and, and this is what our company does, and this is what what drove us uh, to to establish the company. First of all, you can very easily um, assess, train retrain your your employees in a realistic environment the environment that you use uh, uh, and, and that you have to defend and we also solve another problem if you buy a very expensive firewall or if you buy a very expensive log management tool uh, throwing money um, or, or spending a lot of money then what 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 companies use very often that we have seen what they, what they end up doing is they end up buying the Rolls Royce but using it as a, a a really really cheap car so so the cyber range will help you to get the rolls royces value out of your rolls royce uh, type of product so uh, so this is it and, and and the problem is is pretty universal so we see we see definitely requirements um, in eu uh, we see uh, requirements in the sectors banking has has already hard 
regulatory pressure to, to conduct trainings, assessments, having an audit trail. We see the same happening in utilities, smart cities, not to mention governments. It's interesting that you talk about it being almost exotic back in 2009 and still not particularly mainstream in 2016. And maybe there's an element of of proximity bias on my part that I kind of look at the organisations and go, oh, yeah, people, people get security. Now those conversations have moved on. But I suppose from 2016 to where we are now in 2022, obviously two years or so have been taken up with a hugely diverting um, attention-grabbing problem called a pandemic, which might mean that organisations have had their focus in in other areas. And is it fair to say that execs, therefore, at, C- at the C-suite, they're kind of sitting around the boardroom, are still a little bit unaware, actually, of some of those tools that you've talked about and some of some of the challenges that, that their organisations actually face in this area? Well, there are um, there are certainly challenges, but but I would like to say that um, during pandemic um, we saw a huge leap in in digital transformation, and and one can even say that the pandemic. I think somebody even said it, but I I, I can't remember who um, that the pandemic did more uh, on digital transformation than than previous ten or even fifteen years. Because we were not at work. We had to rely on online services. We had to work from home, um, uh, which, by the way, hasn't, uh, has, has continued to be a popular solution nowadays. We, we, we had to start delivering services online. And that all means relying on digital, digital um, solutions, um, which, again, of course, expands the, the cybersecurity footprint. Um, Sure. And whilst I don't disagree with that, it doesn't necessarily mean that cybersecurity was placed at the top of their priority list. You can have no. you can have a startup who, who has digital services but doesn't bake security in at the beginning and therefore they have issues, right? No, absolutely. But, uh, but another thing that, that, is, that is happening with this uh, is the, um, the proliferation of, uh, of, of cybersecurity um, problems, I would say, or, 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 or cyber attacks. Um, so what what has really brought cybersecurity home to to some of the to a lot of companies and to to uh, many of the of the of the C suits um, have been the ransomware campaigns. So um, I remember I remember quite vividly. I was one of my jobs actually is is to write scenarios for for large. Uh, exercises at the national level exercises military exercises but also banking exercises and i was pitching a scenario uh, to one really big one of the world's biggest cybersecurity exercise that was taking place in our region i think year was 2015 and my my pitch was that we should write in a scenario um, a ransomware attack against the hospital um, and that was April 2015, when I made the pitch, and um, the exercise organizers said it, uh, Laura, it goes too far. Don't, don't go there. It's, it's not going to happen. And, and we don't want to do that uh, to the audience. In May 2015, if you remember, we had National Health Service uh, ransomware attack in the UK. So had they taken the, um, uh, the scenario, we would have already, you know, had a, a really good exercise and then been, uh, been, been, been profits. Uh, but, but that was, that was the feeling, but, but now the ransomware attacks that have, have gone all around the world, they go up hundreds and hundreds of, of percent points. I think the 
the last figure for the 2021 was 280 points, uh, 280 percent points or something. Um, this is this is quite telling, and uh, but also this has driven the, the awareness uh, about the cybersecurity issues as well. I suppose what you're saying springs two questions to mind. Uh, the first of which, in terms of, I suppose, awareness would be what what sectors do you find yourself working in predominantly at the moment? I appreciate it'll be across a, a whole range of different customers, but where do you see the real focus in the market right now? Obviously, the governments are um, w- w- where our first customers, and and, and the governments are are very aware of the of the issue. Uh, they have also budgets that they can uh, that they can use. Um, so um, our, our initial focus uh, has been with, with government customers, um, also military customers who have the training and exercise and, and, and preparedness culture. But now more and more in the private sector, and I think a big part of our business, even bigger part than, than previously with the government is now with private sector. So what we see, number one, of course, banks and financial institutions, because that's where the money is. Um, this is the sector that, that also has been suffering from both very sophisticated cyber attacks uh, to to um, to simple brutal you know uh, uh, ransomware or, or, or phishing campaigns. Um, so banking sector is very very important. Um, another sector where we see huge vulnerabilities and increasing awareness uh, is um, industrial sector utilities, critical information infrastructure providers, because the problem there is that. The, a lot of a lot of our um, our industry uh, relies on operational technology that in some cases is obsolete, in some cases extremely vulnerable. So um, if we are looking at um, how our trains run, how um, our um, water purification runs, how our oil pipelines run. So if you if you look at the recent cases as well. Um, uh, we can talk about that the colonial pipeline uh, case in the United States where the whole oil pipeline was taken in ransomware, shutting down the oil supply for a big part of the, of, of the, of the, of the, of, of the United States. That drove uh, home uh, a very hard point about our op- operational technology. Look at the um, successful attacks against, um, well, that's a sort of a positive scenario from... Um, Good and evil point, but but still uh, tells you about the vulnerabilities. Uh, attacks against Belarusian railway systems when when Belarusians were trying to also deploy and and, and supply troops um, against Ukraine. Uh, Russian railway system has has suffered um, attacks. So so this is another sector. And third, which I would like to throw out here, are smart cities. So our cities are becoming increasingly smart. The um, solutions like um, I don't know um, uh, scooter rentals, uh, up to planning by through satellites. That is uh, that is a, that is a big sector. So we need to make sure that um, solutions that our cities um, use are, are are safe. And look, the second part of that question that sprang to mind, you're beginning to err into answering it through what you're talking about. You've mentioned ransomware a couple of times. How do you as a business see cyber risk right now? What, what are the real vulnerabilities and concerns facing organizations? First of all, I would, uh, I would divide, uh, when, when we see a risk, I would divide it into four big chunks. The first is the mindset. 
And that brings a lot of risks. Our, the mindset of, of our organizations and, uh, and, and the managements, basically. The second part is, what is the technology that is out there that, uh, that, um, that can, be, um, can be problematic? The third issue is, what are the threats that are out there? And the fourth are, have to deal with organizations and, and, and regula regulation. The number one big threat has to deal with mindset. And one of, them, one of the problems that we, that we need to overcome is the issue of it will not happen to me. Uh, or if the, you know, to provoke a cyber attack, one has to do something wrong or, or provocative. Uh, it is not like that. So, uh, so um, cyber attacks do not discriminate. It can happen to anyone. It is happening now, and it doesn't discriminate because largely cyber attack uh, um, targets are scanned by AI, and AI doesn't care. So if we look at the recent Microsoft Exchange attack, uh, which we can talk about a bit later as well, uh, that was completely AI-driven um, campaign. Uh, resulting in billions of lost passwords and, and email uh, email accounts and some and, and we saw a lot of mindset issues there, IT teams not willing to go to the managers to to tell them to shut down the service because they were too embarrassed because they hadn't updated the system first. So all those issues, um, uh, being afraid of to to bring bad news or or, or going into denial or, or or not revealing information, a willingness to cooperate. This is a huge part of the risk uh, still. On the, on the technology side, I would say that um, we need to start living with the problem and, and, and realize that um, it's a little bit with a pandemic. I mean, uh, initially when the pandemic broke out, we, we sort of wanted to beat it completely and erase it. It's not going to happen uh, also with cyber attacks. So as we continue to digitalize, the cyber attacks will be there forever. But we are going to learn more and more to deal with them. We are not going to be able to protect everything uh, and, and uh, in totality. But again, what we need to realize is what are our crown jewels that we need to protect? Let's not you know, expose those and, 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 and prioritize and make sure, I was mentioning this Rolls Royces, make sure that we are not throwing only money at the problem, but we are trying to be smart about how we spend who we spend and understand on, 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 on what are the actual capabilities that we are buying. And then come the threats. So um, I would say that uh, on the threat uh, cycle, um, next year brings continuous ransomware attacks. These continue. I think uh, we should be extremely aware about uh, Chinese uh, capabilities in, in terms of uh, very advanced uh, operations, I, I think uh, we will see um, Chinese uh, state-sponsored uh, activity in, in, in cybersphere uh, a lot, and, and that is targeting also private sector. So, so in that sense, that is, is pretty significant. Um, I see that the, the Russian activity due to war in Ukraine, is, is going to um, increase as well. Um, the weaker Russia is in the, in the battlefield, the, the stronger they are trying to push in the cyber. Uh, there are good examples recently. Uh, day after the European Parliament designated Russia as a, terror, as a state sponsor of terrorism, 
they faced sophisticated cyber attack that they already have attributed, or at least partly attributed to Russia. So we will see that that the war in Ukraine spilling over. That that would be a really interesting point to to jump in and, and and quiz you about because I know that you have you have provided cyber range um, uh, activity and and training for the Ukrainian defense forces, and it'd be interesting to know a little bit about some of the some of the work that you've been doing with them and how you think Ukraine will define the cyber landscape moving forward, especially given what you've just been mentioning there regarding Russia. Ukraine is uh, is a very um, um, important. Um, case of course uh, in, in our company story but but also I think globally what is what is going there is uh, is absolutely horrific uh, in terms of uh, what, what the Russians are doing but at the same time uh, of course everybody is in awe of uh, of how Ukrainians uh, are, are are defending them and the whole the spirit of Ukraine uh, is, uh, is is certainly admirable um, our work uh, in Ukraine, our company's work in Ukraine, started actually with the election of President Zelensky. Our company was um, one of the few, <laughs> if not if not the only ones, who who carried out the the audit of the uh, of the election from the cybersecurity point of view. And what we discovered already then uh, was um, uh, several attempts by by various actors to to. Attack the credibility of the of the of the system. Um, so we have made also um, our reports uh, on that. But but we already from that time we learned that Ukraine certainly is a is a is a target, and from there started a a good cooperation, a sets of trainings and preparedness, and and the way Ukraine has approached everything in, in building up their defenses that includes cybersecurity has been has been absolutely ad- ad- admirable, and and the Ukrainians are very good in, in, in cyber security, like they are in any other fighting uh, or, or, or in any other security discipline, um, as it turns out. The attacks on Ukraine um, in battlefield started on 24th of February. The attacks in cyberspace started on 23rd of February, one day before, when uh, Russians unleashed um, uh, a malware uh, that can be described as Viper, the 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 operation or the workings of this malware uh, is extremely similar to to how ransomware works that everybody is familiar with. Ransomware encrypts your your files, but ransomware typically provides a link. So when you pay, it may happen that that the perpetrator decrypts it. So the goal there is to earn money. With Viper, it works pretty much as as uh, as ransomware. It decrypts it encrypts your your data. But you don't have a link. There is no mechanism to encrypt it. The goal is not to make money. The goal is to destroy. It. So what the Russians adopted, and that, and, and again, what we can learn from that, on, on from the twenty third of February, already from that we could learn Russian tactics also in the battlefield, which is complete destruction, targeting civilian infrastructure. So this is what they tried to do in in, in cyberspace as well. They were um, they were exploiting Microsoft systems, and luckily, Microsoft threat assessment um, team was uh, a threat intelligence team was extremely um, um, uh, fast and agile to respond to that threat within hours and days. And together with the Security Council in in, in the United States, they um, they pushed out a patch and, uh, and and improvement that actually very effectively countered that campaign. But uh, and so that is one of the success stories in the war. Uh, uh, the wiper uh, still 
targeting, and, and by the way, the sectors that were targeted were not so much government, although those as well, but banking. So that was that was an interesting interesting event. But there are other lessons to learn, um, and, and I'm more than happy to to, to share those as well. I, I I fear that we would probably have to have a three part series I know. to go into that in real justice. However, look, one one point that you did make earlier was that, of course, this is spilling out from the battlefield into other areas, and and again, kind of you're touching on that. So I suppose a nice place to finish for this particular interview would be be to ask you, look, given everything that we've been talking about over the last twenty minutes or so bringing it back to the enterprise sector where the majority of our listeners will be what are the five big things for managers to be thinking about when they're worried or when their when their minds are turned to cybersecurity and cyber risk i think the managers um, in any company should should be worried about um, the following things number one if the company provides any digital service then um, Ransomware, ransomware, ransomware. If the company doesn't have a contingency plan for ransomware, that is already um, um, a malpractice. So, uh, so th- this has to be in place. Uh, number two, interface. Uh, how the communication between the management and technical management and users are working. Uh, so, so this is uh, this is very important thing. The third thing is value for money. Are we getting good value for money for the money that we are spending? So, so uh, the products that we buy are extremely capable. Are we making sure that we actually configure them the way they are meant to work? And uh, that we see those issues uh, increasingly, um, increasingly growing. Um, the um, number, the problem number four is. Um, Ordinary users, the cyber attacks start with one click. We don't like to say that humans are the weakest link because that's condescending. We like to say that humans are the most important link. So how do you turn this employee uh, base into a a, a human firewall without shaming them into into behaving, uh, you know, um, responsibly? But but actually, how do we involve everybody in the the workplace? And then um, the... um, the fifth thing is the black swan. So, so we need to have the cybersecurity problem always at the back of our heads. We don't know perfectly what is going to happen. Microsoft Exchange, um, the P- Colonial Pipeline. Uh, there are cases, uh, the Wiper case from, from Russia, there are th- what the Chinese may do, other powers that are raising. So um, private sector is a target. Uh, private sector may be um, uh, target for very sophisticated um, cyber uh, cyber cyber intrusions, and we need to be just keep this agility of um, uh, in, in in our minds and, uh, and and be prepared also for for something unexpected. And finally, I would like to say just one overall thing: digital transformation is a mega trend. So we cannot get away. Companies cannot decide that, okay, because it's all so bad and all those attacks are happening, we're not going to go digital or, or going to provide services online. And governments may have this attempt. We had, uh, we had a discussion in Ireland, for example, after the national health uh, service attacks there that somebody asked from the parliament that maybe we have gone too far with digitalization. Well, the thing that we need to realize that it is a mega trend. It's going to happen regardless if we like it or not. Now, the question we can answer is, who is going to be in the driver's seat? Now, if we are not afraid of the cybersecurity issue, if we are addressing it, 
and uh, and if we do not you know shy away from it or, or bury our head in the sand, then we can be in the driver's seat, and we can cybersecurity gives us control over uh, digital transformation because if we are not doing it, then the Huawei or or somebody else is going to do it for us, and uh, and then we're stuck. Look, it's been absolutely fascinating to spend some time with you this morning. I think these are, these are issues, obviously, everyone should be aware of, yeah. even if they're not. And I think that's the point. Um, so thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Here at Tech Talks, we're very lucky to have a lot of content. And sometimes we're not entirely sure what to do with it. For example, when we go to a conference, we will quite regularly meet 15 or 20 people and not know how to get them all on the show. So we've created something new, Tech Talks Extra, for those snippets from conference floors or from one-off events that we don't quite know how to fit into your regular Tuesday show. Tech Talks Extra is free. It's on a private RSS, so you do need to sign up for it and subscribe. But as I say, it's free and all you need to do is hand over your email address and in return, we'll give you instructions of how to access all of that additional content. To get instructions and to sign up to the show so you can play it on Apple and Google podcast players, all you need to do is go to www.nashsquared.com forward slash the hyphen hub forward slash tech hyphen talks hyphen extra hyphen sign up hyphen form. Alternatively, have a look at the link in the show notes. Probably a bit of an easier way to do it. Don't miss out on all the bonus content that we've got from the likes of Web Summit, Unleash World, or from any internal events that we're running. So today I'm joined by Christine CTO at the minute of With Secure. By the time this goes out, you will be the CISO because this is, in fact, we're in the middle of your transition. It's like Doctor Who. You're you're transitioning from one to the next. Woke up this morning as CTO. You'll finish the day as CISO, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> how how exciting is that for you? I, I suppose both exciting and possibly slightly daunting. Exactly that. I mean, the the interesting thing about um, being a CTO is when you are designing cybersecurity capabilities and cybersecurity solutions, you're thinking about how this can help customers, how this can help across the board, and you think generally, but you don't really dive deep enough into the individual problems across the whole spectrum of security needs that they may need. As a CISO, it's a little bit different where you're focusing on one organization, but you need to have the full spectrum of cybersecurity needs that that organization has, and not to mention that if you can see in the news nowadays, I mean, Whenever there's some serious breach in an organization, CISOs have the tendency to be thrown under the bus, which, which is a shame because in a lot of times they are grappling with the decision makers and the structures in the organization that may not really be viable and may not really be accommodating towards cybersecurity needs. So there's an element where, yes, definitely I'm excited because we can do this better. We can, we can be a role model because we are a cybersecurity company after all. But it's also a little bit more daunting because, yes, we are a cybersecurity company and we really should do this better. So it's a little bit of that. I'm assuming you've uh, got assurances that you will not be thrown under the bus if you've taken on this I role. <laughs> assurances. I don't, think, I don't think those are around, unfortunately. Pro- probably helps that, as you say, you are in a cybersecurity business with their understanding of the, of the space and the sector. But before anything else, um, let's set some context for anyone listening. Let's talk about WinSecure and just explain a little bit more about what the business does. 
Sure. I mean, WebSecure is a European cybersecurity company. Um, we do uh, sort of like the full spectrum of cybersecurity. So we have offensive security consultants, those who go into organizations, do pen testing, do risk assessments. And then we also have uh, products. So we have products such as endpoint protection, uh, endpoint detection and response, uh, vulnerability management, um, scanners for your emails and Salesforce platforms. And then we also have managed services, where if products or technology is not enough, then you have a group of threat hunters, cybersecurity experts who are actually monitoring whatever cybersecurity threats that you may have in your network and responding to that. And we also have incident response, where if an organization suffered a breach, then we can send our incident responders to help perform forensics and help the organization recover from a breach and help prevent how they can avoid having the same breach next time. So in with secure, to be honest, as a system, I have a little bit of the luxury of cybersecurity expertise in-house that we offer to customers out there and tap into that to utilize that for our internal needs as well. So it's it's a little bit end-to-end, I'm sorry for offensive security, all the way to defensive products, all the way to response. And look, you talked there a little bit about the risks that organizations faced or fa- are facing at the moment. You're based in, in Helsinki. Helsinki is geographically yes. not too far from, from Russia, and obviously the Ukrainian crisis has had a, a destabilizing effect on the market. There's... The, therefore, the, the knock-on effects on what's going on with energy, but equally, you know, we're living in a world of, a, of an ongoing economic crisis, cost of living crisis, lots of challenges for, for countries that are at a very uh, kind of a macro level, and that affects the businesses within them. What are the risks and the challenges that business leaders are having to think about at the moment? Well, when it comes to Finland, of course, it's very obvious. Um, our next-door neighbor at the moment is engaged um, when it comes to uh, attacking Ukraine, for instance. And the challenge with that, as like within Finland, that's why Finland also applied for NATO, is that the, the threat escalates for a country this close to the border. And of course, when it comes to what are the things that we provide, um, where are we in the supply chain of our customers, for instance? Um, could we be to target some of our customers who could be organizations of interest or people of interest. Because as a Finnish cybersecurity company, of course, we have pretty good penetration into the Finnish market. Um, let's say our antivirus products or EPP products, they are our Finnish customers as well. And therefore, it becomes very strongly like on our shoulders to make sure that where we are in the supply chain, we secure that part so that we also ensure the security towards our customers. But beyond securing our area of the supply chain, it also means that we get more strict when it comes to holding our suppliers accountable. Because whatever impact they may have could impact us, which could effectively impact our customers who are in the Finnish market. And this could be a type of attack that's motivated by nation states. So these are the things that are we are a little bit on high alert like at the moment because of the current situation. You talk there about the supply chain. How aware are organizations of the impact on supply chain? You talked about you know, being a CTO, you design products and so on. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that you might 
previously have existed in a world where the CTO doesn't really think necessarily of those external factors. I would imagine they are now thinking of those external factors more pertinently, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's still quite obscure to a lot of leaders. Well, many organizations, to be honest, are thinking way more now than I would say five years ago. So whenever I go to, let's say, technical conferences and then talk about um, security of the supply chain then, um, I even get some feedback that what type of supply chain are you talking about? I mean, I need, you need to understand that we are, there are some of the supply chains that we are talking about that are physical. And sometimes it's my bad. I should have explained a little bit that I'm talking about digital supply chains now. But today, it's easier to explain digital supply chains, although it's not easy still for an audience to understand that what are the sources of the different components, of the different parts of the supply chain. But it's easier to explain to them that even your physical supply chain has digital components integrated. So for instance, you may have an IoT device, industrial IoT that you use in your organization, and it may have a firmware inside of that device, which could be updated to latest versions or, or not. And therefore, there is a digital component that is very much critical to the function of your device that is part of that supply chain. And more and more organizations are understanding this nowadays compared to around five years ago. Well, how much sure do you think the market is? And I ask that because, you know, we started by joking about the idea of someone being thrown under the bus. Yes. I think I get proximity bias that I speak to our CISO, Jim Tiller, quite regularly. And he does a podcast all about security for an mm -hmm. organization called Security Bytes. And, and therefore, I kind of dive into that every now and then. And I listen to someone who's entrenched in security talking to, to other people who, who work in security all day. And, and I think I probably get a slightly skewed view of the market than, than perhaps is the reality. Um, would you say that this is this is a mature market now or, or have we got some way to go with regards to most enterprise or growth organizations and their view of security? We have some way to go, I would have to say, but it's more mature now than before. So for example, um, when we're talking about what do the audit committee in the board of directors talk about when it comes to risks nowadays, it used to be that a lot of the business risks that an organization talk about um, does not really include cyber risk. And then ransomware came along, and ransomware exacted millions in ransom payments from different types of incidents that they have caused out there. And millions of payments aside, there's also sometimes like months of downtimes that organizations suffer from, which also like adequately uh, results in losses for these certain organizations, which are monetary losses. And so the board of directors have now faced the reality that cyber risk is actually a very, very real threat to their organizations and therefore should be one of the risks that, for instance, the audit committee needs to be monitoring. And this is elevating more and more to the board. And the board is also getting more and more interested when it comes to understanding cyber risk, um, getting some cyber trainings that even though they don't need to understand the nitty gritty details, they need to understand that the organization is actually taking a look at cyber risks and addressing them. So that alone shows maturity already on that level. And another way of um, looking at this as well is that there are more CISOs nowadays compared to around five years ago that report directly to the CEO. 
So there are CISOs that are part of the executive team and report directly to the CEO, um, like the role I'm having. And there are also CISOs or heads of security that although they are not part of the executive team, they are reporting directly to the CEOs as well. So I know several CISOs who are also doing this. And the mere fact that cybersecurity can report directly to the CEO and not, for instance, to the CTO or the CIO means that it probably shouldn't be overridden in some of these critical decisions. And if the CEO is your boss, then it's easier not to get overridden. So I suppose the question that I would love to ask is, what should the CISO who has the ear of the board, of the CEO, be talking about? What should be on their agenda as we head into 2023? Because they might have a seat at the board, but they've got to use it effectively. And if they don't, then I suppose that they will very quickly lose that that position of, of trust uh, to be able to be, to be listened to around the board table. What's going to make an impact and, and help add value to businesses? When it comes to talking to the executive team and the board of directors, what I personally realize is you really need to speak their language. You can't expect them to speak your language. So historically, quite a lot of CISOs have either a policy or a technical background. And especially with technical backgrounds, I mean, this is the easiest way to lose the, um, the attention of these executives or members of the board of directors because that may not be their background and the vocabulary that you're using may be very specific, not just technical, technically different in general, but technical in a cybersecurity aspect even. So it's, it's a very small, very specific area that you may not be easily understood. So first thing as a CISO would be to find the right kind of vocabulary to utilize in this type of discussions, which means that you need to speak the language of business. Like what, when it comes to what are, what's the organization's strategy, for instance, in the, next, um, in the next three years, and what are the outcomes? So we talk about business outcomes because this is about what are the outcomes that the organization wants to achieve, and then we talk about the risks outcomes that are cyber risks. And if this is the cyber risk, then we talk about what are the assets behind our organization that are behind this risk. And then we talk about what are the threats out there that are already happening towards those assets or up and coming threats. For instance, in the threat landscape that could happen to them. And then you can talk about solutions. Like what are, how are we securing them today if we are securing them at all? So my take on this is that if you utilize the language of business, if you utilize the language of where this business needs to go, and then break that down into cyber risks before breaking it down to what are really the areas of the organization that you need to protect because these are assets, then you could be more effective in the communication. And also, um, there's one thing as well when it comes to the risks because a lot of the audit committee, I mean, a lot of the members of the board of directors, they look at risks sometimes in numeric form and they look at it, for instance, if this is... Um, this is a higher risk item. There's a tendency to focus only on that risk item. So it's good to show a trend. For instance, how have the risks evolved during your tenure, for instance, as a CISO? Like how effective is this organization when it comes to handling risks? Because these risks may not necessarily be addressable by you alone, like as a CISO, 
most likely another unit or another function in the organization would be the one that needs to address them. And you just need to hold them accountable, which is also like the challenge with this type of role. But this information needs to then be elevated towards the executive team and the board of directors, who at the end of the day would have the power to say, let's invest more in that, let's hold this area more accountable so that we can mitigate or we can eliminate certain risks. So to summarize, really the language of business outcomes, translating that to risks before talking about what are the assets behind this that we need to protect. Christine, it's been a pleasure to speak to you, especially on a such a significant day, uh, given that, uh, as we said, you, you will finish the day as the organizations see so. <laughs> and all, I, all I, I suppose that remains to say is best of luck in the new role as we head into the new year. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. Right, Jim, you're, you're the resident expert for today's show. Uh, I've, I've jotted down some notes. I'm sure Hannah has too. But um, what, what here stood out to you with your CISO hat on? I think the whole point about what jumped out at the very beginning was transitioning from CTO to CISO. Oh, with Christine and with Secure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so did I. The, the whole point there is you find, all, you find that there's a lot of situations where uh, and this was the case for a long time as people were starting to try to understand the role of security at the beginning of having a chief information security officer and to see it continuing. And I and I, I had this sort of double feeling in one sense. I almost feel sorry for people because they're just thrown into this area that they may not be fully used to, but they're, they like the excitement of it, the opportunity, the responsibility, all these things that come into play. But for many, many I guess many years, especially in the beginning, is you would have companies that would have sort of like an executive training process where they would move them from different one point or different parts of the organization and then sort of put them in these security roles. And in the very early days, this was very difficult for, I think, a lot of them. And But now you're seeing more and more of that where you have an established capability, you have a lot of what I like to say institutional knowledge. And then you had this propensity around cyber and you're seeing people in IT, traditional VPs or CIOs moving into that direction. And in this particular case, CTO. And I, I really applaud it because I, I think it's showing a sort of different kind of culture around being a senior or an executive in cybersecurity with that respect. It's, it's, it's the industry, it's the business saying, security doesn't need to be the center of all of our risk. We need to understand our full picture of risk and we need executives who understand that, that who can translate to what our culture is and what we're trying to accomplish as a business. And I know I'm kind of going off on a huge tangent here, but that, that I think is an interesting dynamic when you take somebody who may not have a history in cyber and you literally just plunk them right into a cyber leadership role. And I think it makes for an interesting dynamic. I think there was the added element about that they do that as an offering, like that the business, she said that she could touch into experts that were in that space. So she's got the reinforcement and also she can put the feelers out about, is this the right strategy to use? I think the other thing was kind of just saying about the risk handling and how you actually categorize that. Jimmy mentioned about risk, but also on the wider aspect about, is this worth this to invest in or do we keep it? ticking along kind of thing. I think that categorization and the mitigation part was really interesting and something that I hadn't really thought because everyone would go, there's risk everywhere. But actually it was things of going, 
how do we categorize it? And then I see the responsibility of then going, is this worth the investment and stuff? And that's actually it. And I think it's that business really needs to prioritize risk. They do it every day. You know, you sit in a boardroom and you realize that cybersecurity, while important, is one of many, many risks and liabilities and challenges that companies face, especially on a global level. So having the ability to understand what really matters, it's it's not really a technical thing. A lot of people want, today we see the word cyber and it just bubbles up pictures of, you know, just bits and bites and flashy lights. And that's fine, but there's really a broader sense of risk. And I think that's there's risk is kind of coming back into the frame again. There was a long time where people didn't talk about it. And I think that conversation was a perfect example of how risk is becoming front and center and sort of tying in with the needs of the business. Is there a bit of a trade-off here? Try and articulate this in the, in the way that it's kind of forming in my head. But Christine talks about the fact that more CISOs um, report directly into the CEO than they did five years ago. You're mentioning that there's more people coming from traditional IT routes as opposed to, as opposed to technical um, security routes. And Christine talks about the fact that, you know, you've got to be aware that the technical background isn't the easiest language to use you can easily lose the board but at the same point in time Laurie talks about the fact that there are lots of people out there using a Rolls Royce like it's a cheap car and if you've got people who are maybe not as au fait with the with the technical aspects or they're not as comfortable is is that a particular risk that you might end up with yeah you've got the ear of the board and you're speaking their language but you're not getting the most out of the tools that are being used Oh my goodness. You realize this is one of the huge giant debates of cybersecurity leadership within the business. I believe that, and I might make a lot of enemies in my industry for saying this, but it sort of depends on your CISO, right? I think if you have a well-balanced, somebody who has a strong basis in technology, a strong basis in the concept of risk, compliance, and ultimately in what it means to lead a business, you should report into the CEO. You should have the ability to communicate effectively at the board and be able to translate that vision throughout the business out to the the the, the, the men and women that are helping you like, you know, configure a sim kind of thing. You should be able to have that full spectrum. And I think also uh, I believe that the board is a lot smarter than what I think people give them credit for. There's uh, there's a there is a sense that boards are too high level they don't get it and i think those days are kind of are winding down quite rapidly um so i think also in speaking in those particular terms they absolutely are experts in the conversation of risk they live it every day whether it be financial risk and things of that nature so i think we just need to sort of continue to up our expectation of the board while also they need to demand more from their chief information security officer having that full spectrum view which is, again, why having a CTO go to being a CISO is really, really interesting to me. I think the accessibility of language, which she mentioned as well, in, and also the training you saying about not underestimating the board, I think there's a combination of making the language accessible because you want to make sure that everybody knows what you're talking about, but also the balance of have we covered everything that is is possible in this and also have we provided the training so they if they do want to feel empowered in this space and if this is going to be kind of the area of focus moving forward then they've got that opportunity for it I think it's great if they have got that training that's available but it's obviously 
kind of subjective in the view of the board and that's why you know you do have a board because hopefully there'll be lots of different scopes for that but yeah I thought that was interesting from the episode. Something that I'd never expected to hear is the idea that the biggest problem is money being thrown at it. Um, <laughs> we talk a lot in terms in technology about you know levels of investment is investment up is investment down if investment is down that is a bad thing um and that you know we need to invest in technology we need to keep innovating and then you hear from someone like laurie at cybex to talk about the biggest problem being that money is thrown at it and then you have all these tools and the tools are creating the skills gap i don't think i've ever heard anyone ever say that in technology and that might be because i'm not engrossed in in security uh, in the way that you are jim but is is that something that is quite a uh, prevalent view to hear when talking to CISOs? No. <laughs> I can tell you right now, no. Right? You know, let's call it a duck a duck. You know, money is like the, the grease that oils all the gears and security. However, I spent huge swaths of my career telling executive leadership, including boards, that the amount of money doesn't necessarily define how good your security posture is. It's, it's how well you're spending it, how well you're organizing it, how well you're supporting it, and how well it's tied to what you're attempting to protect and what type of threats you're looking to defend against. So you know, I've worked with some very large financial firms that you would think that have this massive cyber budget for obvious reasons, um, and it paled in comparison to maybe a company that was doing manufacturing, hmm. right? Um, and the manufacturing company would be completely overwhelmed, you know, with whatever attack was happening. So... I, but I think underlying that sort of tone, money throwing at it, is I completely respect that position because we are being overwhelmed with tools. I mean, you think about there are thousands of security products today compared to maybe a decade or maybe 15 years ago when you could count them on one hand. And I think that's kind of a little bit what I was saying earlier is risk. I call it the pendulum. You know, the, the conversation goes from technology to risk and then swings back to technology to solve your risk problems then back to risk again we've been over in the technology swing for so long and it's people think well i can solve this technical problem with a technical solution and now you had this huge cyber basically cyber technology debt um and so having money thrown at it believes that you can solve the problem by throwing technology at it and all the things that are implied when in fact i don't believe that's the case and I think you know she was absolutely right in saying that I I think that resonated the most with me um just obviously just from my point of view I think a lot of people panic when they don't understand something and do throw everything in the kitchen sink at it um especially cybersecurity when there's a lack of understanding and I think the other thing that was mentioned as well is the mindset you can throw all the money at it, but if the mindset's not there for the individuals that you're going to be obviously trying to protect, and they, they think, oh, it's not going to happen to me, which was mentioned in the in the conversation, I think that's going to be a massive thing. But just going back to all of the different offerings that, and the tools are, that are available, and it's more the skill of the salesperson of convincing you that this is the product that you need, which is a skill, and I totally respect that. But there needs to be a process in place to go, what's the objective here? What's the requirements of, that we want for this piece of care to solve? And also, is that going to do it when we need to progress? And with our growth plans, is this going to be the tools that we want? And if it doesn't work, what are, you know, who's accountable for it? And also, 
where does that then lie further on down the line? I think there's lots of different factors for something like that. But that was the thing that I was like, oh my gosh, this resonates so much. I feel I feel like there's a whole raft of potential new questions for next year's digital leadership report from Nash Squared. Out the back of this. Um, okay, last last quick point. I don't want to keep either of you too long. Given that this is going out on December 27th, obviously we're not recording between Christmas and New Year, folks, but it's it's not far off Christmas. There is one point that I want to talk on uh, talk about though very quickly. Uh, both of these interviews, one recorded in Finland, one recorded in Estonia. Russia is next door. The weaker Russia is, the stronger they are in cyber. Um, surely that's not sustainable, Jim. Or the weaker yeah, Russia I, is I, on the battlefield, I should say. Sorry, I should put extra context around that. Which is also, there's a belief there that now's when they're going to start using more of their cyber leverage to facilitate and to compensate for sort of the ground war, having its flex back and forth once other countries have been involved in, uh, in, in enabling the Ukrainian armies to really fight back, like a better term. Um, and a lot of sort of cyber defensive mechanisms and proactive activities have been happening by countries around the world uh, in supporting Ukraine with regards to Russia's attack moving into the cyberspace, becoming slightly more aggressive than it has been historically. So we're going to see, I believe, I think generally people are like, ah, we thought this would be a little bit more nastier from a cyber war perspective. Um, and then it was like, maybe we overestimated Russia. And I think that we're, I think generally people are coming back around to the concept that, well, we may not have seen everything. I, I'm on the fence personally. I think about some of the attacks that we saw from, you know, maybe within the last decade were based on, you know, let's just call it what it is. And that's, you know, cyber weapons developed by other countries like the United States. And uh, and they got their hands on it. They used it very, uh, very effectively. So I think we're going to we're going to really understand what Russia is truly capable of in this next year. Feels like quite a dour message <laughs> to finish the podcast on heading Happy into twenty twenty three. Oh yeah, Christ! Yeah, that was my fault uh, for leading the conversation in that direction. No, look, let's let's finish let's finish on um on some positives. Um, any one or two key takeaways here that organisations, enterprise organisations, listening to these these interviews should pay attention to, Jim, that they can they can um, implement positively to protect themselves. Don't lose sight of the ultimate thing here, and that is managing risk. Yeah. Don't don't become too involved in just technology, but embrace the technology you have, deploy it, leverage it, make it meaningful to your organization, and always recognize that security is like painting a bridge. You're never going to stop. So just once you're in, you're you're in for you got to be in for the long haul. It's a journey, not a not a destination. Yeah. Look, I want to thank you both for your time. Uh, have a lovely Christmas. We are recording on the 20th of December. Hannah, go and watch Elf. Do yourself a favour. And everyone else, have a very happy Christmas uh, and a happy new year. Thank you.